Yeah? Yeah, some people are laughing at it. Yeah? It's kind of hot, sort of hot. In a way, it's hot, right? So it is summer, so it is July, and it came late this year. So, so that's a good thing. So there you go. Um, we started a sermon series last week called You're Putting Me On. If you haven't listened to the first one, I encourage you to go back to the YouTube page and look it up and watch it um, from beginning to end, of course, and, and kind of get caught up. Because this one starts at where kind of we ended that one, okay? So um, you're putting me on. Um, so I want to show you this picture to kind of relate back to last week a little bit. Um, this is a before and after picture, okay? This one right here in the red sweater is before COVID-19. This one right here in the black shirt is after COVID-19. Um, this is a Baptist and because there have not been potlucks, we have lost a lot of weight. So, so that's, 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 what, that's what that is, right? So we lost a lot of weight. Um, and I just want to let you know that youth pastors are actually starving to death because that was their, their one place where they got their meal, you know, that, that was where they, they did it. So there you go. So before and after. So with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to ask Thomas Seaford, who's one of our elders, to come up. He's going to help me with this sermon today. So this is Thomas. <clears throat> so Ephesians chapter 5. So Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bible. And here we go. Everybody there? Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So if we are going to put on the new humanity, Paul says that we have to walk or we need to walk with wisdom instead of being foolish. If you're walking in foolishness, uh, not, not the new humanity. If you are walking in wisdom, it is the new humanity. So... When you first think about wisdom and, and you think about the Bible and where you would find wisdom, what book would you look for? What look, book would you look into? Yeah, Proverbs. So what we've done is we've picked a couple of verses out of Proverbs just to kind of show you the difference between foolishness and wisdom. So Thomas has the first one. So uh, Proverbs 9 Verse 9 says, give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Here's the next verse. It says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. It's Proverbs 13.20. And Proverbs 17.24 says, the discerning sets his face towards wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. The next proverb we have is Proverbs 29, 11 that says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And Proverbs 18, 2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Facebook. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, that slipped. 
flipped out. Okay, so next is my personal favorite. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. The Message Bible would put it this way. Be silent because for you, that would be wisdom. Come on, that's good. So when I was younger and in seminary, um, I ran across that, that verse and how the message put it. I was like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. So I started applying it to other people, not me. So when they would say something stupid, I would think, oh, you know, they should really be quiet because for them, it would be wisdom. It wasn't until later on that I realized that um, maybe I should apply that verse to myself, right? In fact, here recently, I had to say, hmm, Okay, that was really stupid, so what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to be quiet and maybe regain some intelligence (laughs) that I've lost from saying that particular thing, right? And so we, if we're going to put on the new humanity, if we're going to put Jesus on, we need to live in wisdom and not act the fool, is is what the, the scripture is saying. So, It's great to kind of unpack what Proverbs says, but I think what we need to do is look at what Paul means by living in wisdom. What does he mean by putting it on? And in this chapter, verses 16 through 21, gives us four things, actually, um, that is wise to do. And here's the first one. Verse 16 says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, when you read that verse, I don't have to defend the fact or, or talk about the fact that the days around us are evil. If, if you do not think that there's evil all around us, there's an intelligence problem. Like, there is evil literally all around us everywhere we go. The question is, why does he say making the best use of time because the days of evil? Why is making the best use of time one of the ways that we act in wisdom? So then you start thinking, okay, everybody knows that, that there's, there's evil in the world, right? But how do I make the best use of my time? So then you start thinking, what are the issues in the world? Well, we're, we're, in, a, we're in a huge discussion about... Um, you know, um, which lives matter. I mean, it's an intense discussion about which lives matter. We are in an intense discussion about whether or not we should wear a mask or not. And people in both of those issues are vicious. They're vicious in them. So if you disagree with them, whichever side you're on, I mean, they attack you and attack you and attack you. If you believe that you should wear a mask, oh my goodness, people that don't attack those people. People that are wearing masks are attacking people that don't want to wear them. I mean, it is unbelievable. If you say all lives matter or if you say black lives matter, you get a ton of people attacking, 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 attacking you. And it, it's, just, it's just absolutely amazing. So how can I make the best use of my time in days that are evil? So I submit to you this morning that America does not have a whose lives matter problem. It doesn't have a if you wear a mask or not problem. America's problem is a value problem. We have a value problem in America. It all comes down to values. 
And the problem we have is that we have gone from having biblical values that rule our lives to other values that are just horrible. We have made the insignificant values and the significant we are absolutely ignoring. And we need to get back to biblical values. So a biblical value would be um, treat someone else like you would like to be treated. It's a great value, right? It actually answers both of those issues, to be honest. Treat someone else like you would want to be treated. That is a value that we need to have. That's a value that we should have on our minds, on our souls, and we should do that. So then here's the question. Here's the question. Okay, Philip, you say treat people as you want to be treated, but you are still having church. And people come to church and they breathe on each other. And people come to church and it's a possibility that they could get the virus. And it's a possibility that someone could catch it and someone could die. So if you value people and if you care for people, you wouldn't be having church. You would be streaming it all the time. And you would be doing that so that people would remain safe. So how are we treating other people as we want to be treated? What is the value there that... It drives me, and I'm going to put it on my shoulders, and I don't care. I'll put it on my shoulders all day long. Why are we still having church? And I'm going to tell you. In Acts, they had church regardless. They went to church when they were threatened with their very lives. There was a 50-50 chance at every single church meeting that these people would lose their lives or at minimal, they would be dragged out of wherever they were meeting at and beaten in front of everybody. These people who loved Jesus had a value of meeting together in one place and they knew the risk. Maybe I should put it to you this way. There were families that brought their whole family to church knowing that their kids had the possibility of being beaten because they were going to be overrun by the Romans and dragged out and that's what was going to happen to them. These are people who valued meeting in church and meeting together at a very high value and they did it. So if you ask me, Am I concerned about getting sick or if I'm concerned about dying in the church arena? I'll have to tell, no, I'm not concerned about that because my value is not safety. My value is meeting together as believers that are one with the blood of Christ. When did the church get to the place where safety became more of a value than meeting together? When did that happen? When did that happen? Let me pause here a moment because I just want to be clear. There are some people in our church that shouldn't be here. Parker Bailey should not be here. He's fighting cancer. His immune system is way down. He should not be here. And I could list several people that need to be at home because they don't need to be here and that's good. The people that are sick need to stay at home so that we don't get it, right? They take their temperature, they stay at home, they stay awake. Those people need to stay there. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about believers that are coming across saying that we shouldn't have church 
because of the fear of getting sick or the fear of death. We have forgotten what the church is. The church is a family. And Jesus Christ died for you and I to be able to be a family and live together. And in the first century, they went to church and it was a 50-50 chance, more of a chance of them being beaten, more of a chance of them losing their lives than you catching a virus and dying. Come on, church. We have gotten to where, I don't know, we just, we just I don't know. It's, it's really a little bit irritating. Last night, this is actually not something that I planned to do even on Saturday morning, this little bit. So I just want to let you know that. So I'm disobeying one of my rules. But last night, Nicole and I were sitting and we were talking about a, a vacation. We would like to go somewhere on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm a little bit of a germaphobe. You may not think that because I'm doing this, but I'm a little bit of, I don't like other people's germs in my space, okay? I'm germaphobe. So I'm talking to, talking to her about that. And my main concern about going somewhere on vacation is that I would stay in a hotel where somebody else that I don't know has slept and they breathed their germs onto the pillow and they breathed their germs into the room and they dream, breathe their germs into the bed, and I don't know who they are. I don't know who they are, and I know if you're watching, please forgive me, and you work in the cleaning system of a hotel, I don't trust you. Okay, I don't personally trust you. So I walk into a room, and I'm thinking, okay, where are the germs at? Where did they not clean? My wife looks over the bathroom and stuff and makes sure that everything, but I'm still wondering who breathed on the pillow, who did this, how can I sanitize, how can I keep myself safe? So my issue with going somewhere is a safety issue for my family, right? So I'm very concerned about that. Do you know I haven't thought about that one time when it came to whether or not we we're gonna have church? I haven't thought about that one time. Now, do I sanitize my hands? Of course I do. If I shake a bunch of people's hands, I'm going to sanitize my hand. I do that during flu season. It's nothing new for me. So we, we're in a culture where, where that is our conversation. So a couple points about that. First of all, everybody in this room has at least done grocery pickup. And there are people in this room that have also went to a restaurant and trusted that that restaurant and those people were not sick before they picked up their food and they brought it home. I love Chick-fil-A, but I'm telling you, you don't know what's going on in Chick-fil-A and who's been sick and who's not been sick. And if you're eating Mexican, I will not even start with, with, that, with that environment. Not trying to say anything, but trying to say something. <laughs> Wendy's has always been dirty. Always has. Love their Frosties. Always been dirty. Always been a nasty, I mean, to me, a nasty place to eat. There, there are places, you have already gone and picked up food and brought it into your house. But you mean to tell me you can't have church for an hour? You've gone into Walmart, but yet you can't come to church because somehow or another you can't go to church. It, it makes absolutely no sense to me. There are people, Christians, good people, that have gone to the beach and stayed in a rented location where somebody else has been there. They have breathed all over the place. They have trusted the cleaning crew. 
to make the place clean and they've done the whole week and come back home but will not come to church because they're afraid they'll get the virus. Please, please, please. That is absolutely ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. Here's what that says. That says that you value your vacation and relaxation above spending time with God's people. That means that you value picking up your food at Chick-fil-A more than you value meeting with God's people. You see, it's a value problem. It's a value problem. And the value is for some reason, God has put the church into motion and for the church to meet. And there is a power when we meet together. There's an encouragement that we meet together. There is a a push to stay faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ when we are together. And the wolves out there do not want you to do this. You see, we have other values. And I'm gonna meddle a little bit because I'm a tad bit upset about this. We have other values, okay? We have other values. We can't go to racing because we might get sick. We can't go to basketball games. We can't go to football games. And somehow or another in our minds, because we can't do those things, then we must not need to assemble at church. We, we have made that. See, there are people that miss church for all kinds of reasons. For this reason, for that reason, it has never really been a value for them to be here anyway. Because at the flip of a switch, they'll go off and they'll do something here because that is what they value. You live by your values. I live by my values all the time. I don't have to speak my value to you. I'm already living it. You don't have to speak your values to me. You're already living them. And if at the whim, you can do this over here, you have just spoken volumes about what you value and what you don't really value, and you have listed them like this. I value this, so I'm gonna do this. I value this, so I'm gonna do this. You have listed your values. Ladies and gentlemen, the church needs to get back to the place. The church needs to get back to the place where church attendance is a value that drives you that makes you come, that makes you come and collectively fellowship, it is a value problem. And judgment starts in the house of God. So if you're going to the beach and you cannot make it to church, you have just told God what you value most. If you can make it everywhere else in this life and not make it here, You've just told God what you value. And I'm telling you that Jesus Christ values the church more than he does Chick-fil-A. That's hard for me to say. Hard for me to say. He died for it. He gave his life for it. Come on. It's not just the church in scripture that met with their lives on the line. It is churches all the way down through history. And I don't know if you realize this or not or have thought about it. It's only within the last 250 years that we've been safe to meet in one location, the United States of America. 
There's other locations that it's in and out. Sometimes they're free to do it. Sometimes they're not, depending on what the government says and what the government, you know, dictates. We have been free to meet. It has been absolutely a blessing that we could come to this location and meet in freedom and not have to worry about stuff. It's a blessing. You better capitalize on the blessing while you have it. Because there might be a point in time where we all have to sneak around not because of a virus, but because the government has decided that everything we say here is hate speech. So it is time for us to make a decision right now. Are we going to value assembling together as Hebrews tells us to? Are we going to value that and get back to that? Or are we not? The best use of my time in an evil day is to be right here. It's the best use of my time. The best use of my time. To be around other believers, other Christians, and pray with them and get encouragement from them. It is the best use of my time in an evil day. And it flies in the face of the wisdom of the world. Why are those people meeting together? We don't understand it. Of course you don't. You're unsaved. And the wisdom of this world thinks that the wisdom of God is foolishness, but it's really the other way around. And I think somebody wrote a couple of passages on that in Scripture. Okay, so there you go. That is the end of that part of the message. Okay? But I do think... As your shepherd, it's very important. There are wolves telling you that the church is just a building and we can meet at home. And I'm here to tell you those are wolves because the church is a people where two or more are gathered together. He is there in their midst. And at your home, if you're watching this, I think it's great you're watching it, but I want to let you know that is a devotional for your family. It is not the church. It's just a devotional. Devotionals are good. Listening to worship music and trying to connect here is good, but it's a devotional. This, locationally, is church. So there's your theology lesson for the moment. The best use of time is what we are doing right now. Okay. So. So just to add to what he has just got done saying. So, you know, the other thing to keep in mind here is that the best use of our time is not always to try and change other people's minds, right? Despite what Philip just Sure, because I just spent like probably about 10 minutes trying to change people's is minds about this thing. So, so, yeah. Thank you. So, um, <laughs> despite all of that, um, it's, the best use of our time is not always to try to change other people's opinions, right? We just read Proverbs talking about how the fool likes to hear himself talk. The fool likes to... Um, continually hear himself. He doesn't listen to others. He doesn't listen to wisdom. He doesn't uh, learn things. So the thing that I'm trying to get to here is it is, not, it, it is not always that we have to make other people agree with us. Right. We live our values by living our values. And it is not always about making sure that everyone else agrees with our values. God will deal with them. It is our responsibility to live 
the values that we have and the values that are given to us in his word. Yeah, so Facebook, you're trying to convince somebody either, either side of a political issue. It's really not the best use of your time. It just isn't. You're not going to change them. But this is the best use of your time. Right. This, this right here. So. And just to be clear, there's a difference between what he's doing right here and what you're trying to do on Facebook. So that, my bringing this up is not to well, they know what that. They know saying. that. I'm just making sure. They know. You know, you know they we know. don't want, you know. Yeah. I didn't smack you, so they know it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's move on to 18 through, through 19. And um, you read that. Why don't you read it? Sure. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts uh, to the Lord. So, um, you know, when we're thinking about this and we're thinking about um, the people who lived in the day that that Paul is writing here, um, they had a God for everything. They had a God for, uh, they just had a God for everything. And they also had a God of wine. And how do you think they worshipped the God of wine? By getting drunk. How else would you you worship a God of, of, of wine? So um, they, spent, they spent time drinking, getting drunk, doing all kinds of stuff that um, they really shouldn't have been doing, stuff that should only happen, you know, between two married people. That They did all this stuff as part of this worship to this God. And it, it was all in an effort to try to get favor with this God. Um, get favor with them, trying to uh, get knowledge, get wisdom from this God, try to, get, uh, try to make their life better, which is interesting to me. Um, you know, because I don't know that any of us would really think of getting drunk as being something that improves our cognitive function or our ability to live life. Um, most of us would... That's not the first thing we go to. Um, but that's, what that's where their heads were. You know, if, if I'm going to get the favor of this God, then I've got to do all of this stuff. I've got to drink. I've got to get drunk. I've got to lose control. And I've got to earn this God's favor. Um, but what Paul is saying here is that is not how we are to, um, that's not how we are to interact with the Spirit of God, right? That is not how we are filled with him. Um, We are filled with him by yielding control of ourselves to him and by following his direction and allowing him to rule our lives. Yeah, so I think it's interesting here that he brings in music because I've been on a cruise ship before and and I've seen people that are drunk that sing. Right? And they, they, they try the words and then they fall a little bit and they stammer a little bit. I mean, I've seen people that are drunk that sing. And then you have this over here, when you're filled with the Spirit, you sing. There's a contrast here between not being in control and actually being in control of your functions. So when you sing, you're in control of your functions. You're not wobbling around, you're not falling around, you're not... You're not out of control. The spirit isn't something that comes upon you, and all of a sudden, you're out of control. In fact, it's a dualistic thing. At any moment in time when you're filled with the spirit, at any moment in time, you're in control of what you're doing because you're allowing the spirit to control what you're doing. And at any moment in time, you can choose not to follow the spirit and submit to him and do some sin over here 
And then the spirit is no longer in control of your life, no longer in control of the sin that you're participating in. So when you're filled with the spirit, you still have control. So when you're seeing, you have control. When you, when you worship, you have control. There's a control factor here that is unlike someone that is drunk, that is singing, that has fallen all over themselves, that is right. convulting. And, you know, the, and just to kind of bring something else out that, you know, someone out there may be thinking, you know, well, Philip, we sing songs about falling down all the time. Yes, we do. Right? I mean, you know, we, we fall down. That is actually a worship song, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so how does that relate to what we're talking about here? Well, scripturally, every time somebody fell down, they were still in control of themselves. Every time. Let's take Isaiah. Isaiah was in the presence of the Lord, and he fell down prostrate on the ground, and he didn't move. But he still was thinking. And we know this because in Scripture... He was thinking, I'm not holy, I'm not holy, I'm not holy. So what happened is an angel walked up to him and said, stand up. And he said, I'm not holy. So the angel went over up underneath, and this is a cool thing I can't unpack, but just absolutely cool. He goes over and he reaches for a coal up underneath God's throne, and he comes back and he touches Isaiah with it, and he says, stand you have been made holy. You see, we fall before the Lord because God is a holy God and a righteous God and we're in all of him. We go to our knees in worship and God understands that. So when we hit our knees or we're on the floor or whatever we're doing, we're in complete control of what we are doing because that whole act is a focus on the God that created us, who is more righteous than us, who is more holy than us, and that is what we are doing. It is the duality. Mm-hmm. Filled with the Spirit, and controlled with the Spirit, means that you're in control. For instance, Acts 2, I know people's minds go to this. People looked at them and they said, hey, you're drunk. And Peter says, no, it's not even 9 o'clock in the morning. Right? He says, it's not even 9 o'clock in the morning. And then he explains to them what is going on because the whole time that he was filled with the spirit, he was still in control. He wasn't out of control. They were wondering why the joy was there. They asked what was happening and he was able to respond because when you're filled with the spirit, controlled by the spirit, you still have control over what you're doing and so did they. So, there you go. Well, good. So it's, it's all about then us recognizing our unworthiness right. in, in, in response to God's holiness and then being in control of self, ourselves, making a conscious effort to demonstrate that to God with our actions. I do think it's interesting here that being filled, filled with the Spirit is actually um, a way that we can be wise. It's really... It's really interesting because we're living in God's wisdom. But let's, let's move on to the next one. Okay. Okay. Verse 21 says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So if we're going to be wise, we're going to submit to one another. What in the world does that mean? Well, flip a page over to chapter 4, verses 25 and following. And this is what it says. Therefore, having, therefore, having put away all falsehood, 
Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his whole hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. All of that is wisdom. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only which, that which is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give the grace to those who hear. That's wisdom. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That is wisdom. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That is wisdom. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That is wisdom. So what from that do you want to I think it's interesting out? here that at the beginning of the passage, he, he starts out by talking, by saying, be angry and sin not. And then once we get down to verse 31, he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger uh, and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. It's very interesting to me that he, he references anger twice, right? And in the first passage, he, he, he makes a distinction. And it's clear to us that there is sinful anger and not sinful anger, or righteous anger. And then in the last passage, there's no distinction. In fact, it is in the, it is in the middle of a passage that is filled with other sins. So we have this kind of uh, difference here where be angry and sin not, but let all anger be put away from you. Really what it's coming down to here is no matter how righteous your anger is, I don't care. I don't care how righteous or good or appropriate, I don't care how you have dealt with it, if you have dealt with it in a biblical manner, no matter what is going on with your anger, if there does not come a point where you put that away, then you are no longer living in verse number 26, you're living in verse number 31. So there's this element, and this is where the submission that we're talking about from verse 21 comes into play. Um, there comes a point where we have to let go of the anger, anger and we have to submit ourselves to someone else who is asking forgiveness, right? That is a hard, hard thing to do, to be able to say, you have hurt me, but, and now you're asking for forgiveness, and I'm going to grant that. Well, one step further from that is if that person didn't ask for forgiveness. Right. Like if they never did, and, and you submit to the place where you say, I forgive them. It's not that you don't have boundaries. That's another message. Oh, right. But, but you, you forgive, and that anger just goes away. So, so your anger, you're right, your anger, to be angry and say not, I think part of that is that you do forgive and right. you just let it go and the anger doesn't fester. Right. Yeah. Right. So verse 32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind is wisdom, right? Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Um, 
Last year when I was working on this, I, Nicole and I had, had some tension in the home. Nobody else does have tension in the their homes. So, so it, was, it was a moment where I had to forgive her for something. And I looked at this verse and it said, by the way, she gets irritated at me and there's times she has to forgive me. I have to forgive. Okay. Okay. Great. So be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You and I learn what it is for God to forgive us when we are forced to forgive our spouse. There is no one else in the world that it is harder to forgive than a spouse. I know love or may it. When someone, when your wife or your, your, your man, your wife or your husband does something bad against you and you have to forgive them, it is a struggle to forgive them of that. It is a struggle to let that go. It is a struggle not to continue to be angry to, because to be honest, it's easier well, and, to be angry. And because those wounds are oftentimes deeper. They are right? deeper. Because of the intimacy of that relationship, those wounds can be so deep. So when you forgive your spouse for something that they've done wrong against you, no matter what it is, you have just begun to learn how hard it was for God to forgive you of your sins. Be kind to one another. I'm supposed to be kind to Nicole. And if she does something against me, I am supposed to forgive her. What does it say? As God in Christ forgave you. We learn about the forgiveness of God. I know I've said this before, just a few minutes ago. We learn about the forgiveness of God when we forgive someone else and how hard it is. That, ladies and gentlemen, is wisdom. It's wisdom that surpasses all understanding. There's some people that I've forgiven in my life that it was stupid. Like, you know, for the world's perspective, stupid to forgive them. But when you forgive them, there's a wisdom that comes that surpasses all understanding. It is an amazing thing. So the last thing as we wrap this up, I want you to look at verse 17 and it says this. Did I do something wrong? No, 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 no. Okay, you'd like... <gasps> I was, no, never mind. Okay, great. Did you want to say something? Because now's the time. No, no, no. Okay, no, great. No, okay, 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What did you get out of that, Thomas? So, um, when, we, when we think about this verse, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understanding is very, is linked to that idea of wisdom that we're talking about. Um, and it, when we try to figure out what does that really mean, um, by failing to have understanding, our, our hearts live in darkness. When we fail to have the wisdom and understanding that comes from God, our hearts live in darkness. And when we live in darkness, 
we become part of the problem that we read about just a verse or two earlier when it says because the days are evil. When we are not living in the wisdom and understanding that comes from Jesus Christ, when we are not putting him on, and we are not living in his wisdom, we become part of the problem making the world evil. But we should not be that. We should not be part of the problem. We should be part of the solution. Putting on Christ realigns, it reorients our thinking. It it changes our priorities, our values. And when those values and those priorities and those thoughts are changed, and we begin to think like Christ, we become part of the solution. We are part of his solution for the, for the world in which we live. And we are able to communicate to the world around us his love, the love that we have just begun to understand. Yeah, right? yeah that's right. So here's the question and the challenge. Are you putting on the new humanity? <laughs> are you putting on Jesus Christ? Are you... What was that first point? Are you making the best use of your time because the days are evil? Are you getting back to the values that we need to get back to, the biblical values? Are you, what's that second one? Are you filled with the Spirit? Yeah, are you filled with the Spirit? Are you allowing Him to control your life or are you just not submitting to Him? What is, what is the third one? Yeah, submit to one another in love. I'm glad you all listened. Submit to one another in love, right? Y'all didn't expect me to ask you this. Submit to one another in love, and then you start unpacking that, and that's a pretty big job for you to get wisdom in that particular way. And what is the final one? Correct. Know what the will of the Lord is. Know what the will of the Lord is. You know, in that passage, it's interesting that the will of the Lord is separate than being and controlled by the Spirit. We often think you have to be filled with the Spirit in order to understand what the will of the Lord is and it's separated. There's a reason there for that. So my, my challenge to you is today, you need to put on the new humanity. You need to go out and be lights and you need to get back to biblical values. If you're making mask your main focus in life, you are so missing it. If you are making which lives matter the focus of your life, you are so missing what God wants you to be for the entire world. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day, this day that you've given us. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for the truths that are there. We're thankful that through the blood of your, 